Hi everyone, David here. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. If you like what you hear and want access to more of our fascinating in-depth content on the energy transition, you need to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for just €29, which will get you full access to our website and app. We also have a wide range of subscription packages to fit you or your company's needs. Follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome to Energy Enablers, a new podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. My name is David Weston. I'm the editor-in-chief here at Foresight and host of Energy Enablers. In this podcast series, we want to talk to the influential people making a real-world difference to the energy transition. Hopefully not just your usual suspects, but people working every day to decarbonise our world. We also want to delve into their backstory a little bit, discuss what motivates them and how they think the transition is going. My guest today is Matthias Rebellius, a member of the managing board at Siemens and CEO of Siemens Smart Infrastructure. We talk about the ongoing high energy prices and the role digitalization can play in helping the demand side manage its energy needs and how it supports decarbonisation. Enjoy. Hi, Matthias. Uh... Thanks for joining us here on Energy Enablers. Uh, let's jump straight in. Do you envisage the high prices that Europe has seen over the past year to continue for much longer? <laughs> that's a that's a million dollar question. I would say it's um, you know it's it's difficult. It will depend on many different aspects, but of course um, it will not go away fast. Uh, that's what we what we also see, um, and it depends on also how the government programs will will take actions and will change the situation going forward. What will be the supply? But first and foremost, it's important to, you know, limit, um, reduce the demand and optimize the supply. And how do you rate the sort of response from governments, from the European Commission uh, and member states to the crisis? How have they responded to it over the last sort of few months? Yeah, I think it was, uh, of course, very, very reactive. Um, in the European Union, they set up programs. They also talk about the... Um, where to source different from different sources uh, the gas and uh, and along also then the governments acting individually perhaps uh, what I would be missing what I'm missing is a little perhaps a European consensus to uh, drive this uh, topic together and uh, to get more independent from the gas so, but it's um, it is a short term view that is driving all the actions and uh, this. Uh, Perhaps we should have done differently in the last five and ten years, and to implement what we what 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 was on the agenda, driving renewables up, optimizing demand, and also uh, implementing um, higher independencies from one source. But uh, that is difficult to change overnight. They're all acting in good uh, with uh, good intention intentions, uh, and uh, but the action still to prove uh, uh, impact. Are you finding that sort of um, different uh, reaction from different member states difficult to navigate? You know, I, I don't want to talk here about different countries acting differently. That's I'm not a politician and that's not my, that's, I'm not the expert for this one. Sure. Um, but in general, it's, you know, if something happens, which if we, if we're honest with ourselves, was partly also unforeseeable, yeah, mm-hmm. that really the, 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 the war will start in, right in Europe, which of course, uh, created lots of the tension and the problems. 
Um, that was difficult to foresee. And then they all reacted, I think, but the time was just not enough. So um, in essence, um, uh, I think it's a general question of these days and uh, societies on how to prepare for the um, un unexpected. And uh, this is just one more example here. Yeah, absolutely. So what can be done then to stop sort of these crises from happening again in the future? Um, and what sort of technologies do you think will be able to help with that? Yeah, actually that hasn't, I think that hasn't changed. Just the importance has changed and also the speed of implementation has to change. Uh, it is, um, uh, or perhaps I start from the other angle. What would be wrong is now to subsidize the status quo and uh, only and say, okay, we invest the money now to make, uh, um, uh, the cut the gas prices in general, well, which would then um, uh, slow down even the investments into renewable spaces. But there are certain industries who are heavily dependent on uh, gas supply uh, for their production processes, which of course need to be subsidized. And also uh, many families who have trouble on paying their electricity or heating bill needs need support and subsidies. That's not what I'm questioning but just we should not make this the new normal you know, that we subsidize and then we keep going with uh, with fossil fuels that would be wrong we have in in the opposite in return and it's the opposite we have to speed up the investments into renewable into uh, uh, up, uh, uh, building up renewables and this will not go without significant investments into the grid. And we'll talk about uh, grid digitalization and grid automation uh, in a minute, I'm sure. And, um, and on the other side, also managing the equation between demand and supply in the right way with uh, reducing the demand, be it in buildings, which still occur for you know, 40% of uh, global emissions, transportation, and also the industrial processes. Moving on then to, as you mentioned, the sort of the role of digitalization within uh, within that to help accelerate the energy transition. Do we look at digital software in the right way when it comes to the energy transition? What do you mean with digital software? Are we are we approaching it? Are we approaching it in um, the um, uh, in a suitable way? Are we realizing its sort of potential and, and applying it in the right way? Yeah, I think it's not a question. It's a question of. Um... It will not go without, perhaps that, to make it here black and white, uh, managing the, com the increasing complexity. If we go from central generation to decentral generation and have, you know, uh, mi millions of decentral en uh, energy resources uh, on the network, if uh, uh, what has been in the past managed as a power plant to high voltage grid, a business from the TSOs um, and then on the distribution side um, they had a limited transparency into the overall network but it was also not needed because it was much simpler the uh, the software that you can as you can imagine the software that is needed to manage the increasing complexity in the medium voltage but also especially in the low voltage grid which was not even on the radar of the dso's in the past because now the in complexity the ad the ads will happen on the low voltage side, be it um, uh, solar, even DC, you know, they have DC to AC conversion. Then we have, uh, uh, again, AC and DC grid charging, but all happening on the low voltage grid. It has impact on the medium voltage supply, of course. But um, 
So that is a complexity that needs a different way of utilizing uh, digitalization and software in the way we manage the grid. And this is also where we as Siemens, we are, I think, one of the leaders in managing high voltage and distribution grids with our today's SCADA systems. But the next generation has to be or will be and is already on its way being a lot more flexible, adaptable and providing the needed transparency to manage the uh, high increase of uh, of 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 uh, uh, resources amongst the grid. Do you think then DSOs are still playing catch up with sort of the role of digitalization? Not necessarily, because I do see them as very interested partner. Many of them are our co-creation partners for the next generation of software. So they know very well their business. They know what they need. Uh, and they're asking partners like Siemens also to, you know, go the way together uh, with them because they're not writing software, they're utilizing and they're giving insights into the requirements of the future. And therefore, this can only be handled in a win-win situation in a partnership. And that's what we're up to. So why are digital building controls and digital uh, other platforms uh, important to sort of reduce the demand and, and manage the energy supply much better. Can't we just simply install energy efficiency measures in a way to reduce demand and, and help uh, the energy transition accelerate? Yeah, and I think it's a good segue also coming from the uh, um, um, adding up renewables, which requires more intelligent grids. And then I said demand optimization plays a major role and also buildings becoming producers. So adding to the complexity of the grid also themselves, which uh, um, uh, makes it obvious that also the way we manage buildings and campus is becoming more complex, more digital, and requires more connected devices um, uh, before and behind uh, the meter as a very an important part of the equation. When, when we started with the energy performance contracting or energy performance business more than 20 years ago. Um, also there, we recognize that this doesn't go without a proof points to the customer because when you talk about, um, we have a contract of saving energies and the infrastructure investments get paid out of the savings. It's obvious that you need to have some proof points. So how can you prove that without having everything connected and providing the transparency to the customer. We did that in the first years, most likely with paper and Excel spreadsheets, and uh, then with <clears throat> some you know, um, algorithms that we were running on, or rule-based algorithms supporting our energy engineers. We started 2014 uh, very early on with our first um, uh, like an I IoT managed platform where we have already connected devices in uh, all of our connected buildings at that time, which we had under contract, where we are now up to, you know, more than 200,000 sites and, and uh, with millions of data points being um, um, looked at every day. Of course, these platforms have developed from 2014 to now um, as the technology uh, goes along and are now with the, with the latest version under the Siemens Accelerator brand uh, building X, our uh, cloud, it's a cloud-based, fully cloud-based uh, IoT um, uh, managed platform you know, with different uh, applications and use cases on it. So we've started early. Uh, it doesn't go, um, um, buildings, digital buildings or smart buildings are an important 
um, part of the demand optimization, but also they play an active role in the uh, in the in the management of demand and supply in decentralized energy systems. Can you see how big a role digitalization can play in this? Are we taking full advantage of the things like uh, Internet of Things you've mentioned a couple of times? Are we taking full advantage of that just yet? Yeah, I think um, so in the install base, definitely not yet. So there's huge potential. Many things are the starting point, but um, we have, as I said, uh, um, we have not, not all of our buildings that we have under contract are yet connected. Yeah, so there's more potential, but also beyond that, and everything being built in the future ha- should be and has to be connected from the very beginning and uh, to provide that data and to make better uh, decisions. So um, big potential, but that's also great because for for the industry and, and players like us, this is also a big opportunity to, pro- um, to, to not only grow our business, but also to contribute to a sustainable energy transition. Right. So you're hoping to perhaps one day have sort of a big database of all of the buildings that you either operate or have sort of software in, uh, and they can all kind of learn from each other, and, and that will then inform sort of machine learning and AI as well? Yes. And uh, will it be one platform? Will it be one data lake? Most likely not, because there's a huge complexity also the different disciplines that you have in a building, the different um, uh, use use cases, the different players who, are, who have a role. But what I do see, and this is also where we made the acquisition of Brightly Software last year, that we go from beyond building management towards building operations, because the the all of the the most of the or eighty percent of the cost and as well as the all of the emissions are, of course, um, um, uh, occurring during the life cycle of a, of an infrastructure and a building, and therefore managing the operations, be it asset management, the maintenance management, um, is that is key for make keeping the commitments. Uh, over the lifetime and not only have a nice looking building at day one uh, at the inauguration. Is it more like a operations as a service platform as opposed to say, and do you then embed it to that say building owners will just leave you to operate their building um, in, in the most efficient or cost effective way? Is that the plan? I think in the end game, yes. If you look into the industry and the building industry is, uh, is is by far the one which is the least digitalized and has also not the highest um, profitability gains in in the way in the, way, uh, in the past in the way of construction has has been done. Uh, now with you know um, building and information modeling, so having continuous flow of data, which is a which is we you know not new, but now evo- it's a it's the base for everything being done on the digital side and on building infrastructure. This is, uh, this is coming and as I see huge uh, potential and growth there and also the, in, the, in terms of the, the way how the systems will, will interact uh, with each other. Hi everyone, me again. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. It really helps us out, means we can make more shows like this and means more people can find us. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to Foresight Climate and Energy so you don't miss out on any of our other podcasts or long-form journalism. Head to the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe. (laughs) 
how quickly are we rolling out these sort of solutions, uh, both in terms of old buildings, perhaps retrofitting and adding digitalization, digitalized solutions into these older buildings, but also in new builds as well? Are they being digitalized as maximum as possible? When you say our, I, I mean, so I can only say what, what we are doing with our customers <laughs> and, <clears throat> and others uh, most likely as well. But first of all, we start with our own premises and we implement all of the uh, connected uh, IoT and digital building uh, or smart building software and solutions in our Siemens uh, premises also to contribute to our net zero a commitment as an organization for 2030 and in some locations even faster. And uh, and then, then also carry this also, of course, to our customers. Uh, if It depends heavily on the regional view. Of course, in Europe, it is more the brownfield optimization, which is which plays a major role while in the in, in Middle East or Asia. We have lots of greenfield developments um, which uh, which is a, well, it's just a different tool set, but at the end it ends up in the same set of software, the same data lake, the same algorithms being used for the operations. Is there the infrastructure in place to support this uh, growth of digital building software and digitalization? The amount, we've mentioned a couple of times the amount of data that this is producing. Is that sort of behind the scenes infrastructure available in to manage all of that data? Yeah, so what is needed? I think that's a, that's a very good question. What's needed to do this going forward? I think there's several layers to it. One is when you say infrastructure for managing data in buildings, you need, of course, we need uh, sufficient um, uh, data, data center space to you know, manage the, um, all of the in, increased uh, um, traffic and, of data and, and software being an, analyzing it <clears throat> this is what we see also with huge growth rates in the data in the data center market where we also participate with our infrastructure solutions but this is more like the foundation the second set is about uh, cybersecurity you know of course you know if uh, because the more things are connected the more cybersecure they have to be and the more cybersecurity uh, becomes also a, deci- a decisive part of the offering of the infrastructure and also the awareness with our customers. And this is where we as Siemens um, have thousands of people working on our cybersecurity assets uh, and hardening our own software and offerings to our customers. And knowing that this is one of the most decisive parts uh, of for being successful going forward. Once this is in place, it is about a, a platform and openness because uh, in a world which of such complexity, you need to have uh, standard in- interfaces, APIs, or also um, have a platform which is open for partners to run their applications or to also exchange data with us. Because even as much as we would like, we cannot do everything on our own and <laughs> and alone. Uh, and that is uh, that is the reason why. So once this is in place, then uh, we are ready to go. Do you have a sort of maybe a time scale of that? How long would, do you think that will take to have in place? Oh, I think that's that's a too com- <laughs> it's too complex to answer. It depends, you know, which country we're talking of, which which market, and sure. uh, and I th- is that even important? You know, it is important is that we now that we see a substantial growth rate in the in the way in the in the in the amount of connected buildings and connected assets. Uh, connected microgrids and also uh, uh, DER resources to our 
um, uh, distribution grids. I think as long this will this will uh, as we see exponential growth here <coughs> in the uh, in the in the times to come of these uh, with these connected uh, devices, that is decisive for me. And uh, I don't know if if that will ever be done. It's perhaps a continuous um, task also for all of us going forward. Do you think then all all buildings can uh, both existing and new buildings be um, to able are able to include digital solutions and become digitalized and become part of this digital ecosystem? That is a clear yes. The answer is a clear yes. And it's perhaps if you compare it also with human beings, you know, if you ask a question, is everyone in your family capable of um, uh, dealing with digital with digital tools and digital uh, um, um, applications? Most likely your answer will be a yes, but it's different with my uh, grandpa or with my my uh, 15 year old or myself or whoever. So it's very that needs personalized solution, which we call tailored solutions for vertical markets, because what is important is that when things are getting more complex, customers are asking for an end to end view an end to end solutions. And we can provide this as a company like Siemens with uh, expertise that we uh, have from different industries, vertical markets, as we call it, and then have uh, expertise in these markets, understand the customer view, so that we that enables us to um, not only deploy a digital software or a technology, but to connect it to the real assets where we have decades of experience and the understanding of the customer's persona, the customer view and pain points. And combining all of this is what we say, what we call transforming the everyday by connecting the real and the digital worlds. So how can then maybe low-income households or low-income communities or maybe people that aren't so technically savvy still be involved in this digital revolution? Um, the question, I, didn't, I don't think it's a question of, uh, it's not only a question of income because it's a question of uh, if uh, the, um, it's the building owner as we let, makes that decision and uh, if he or she has enough <clears throat> reason to invest into new technology by saving and then passing on some of the savings to their, uh, to the, uh, um, um, the users of the buildings or the rentees, um, that they will provide a win-win situation, situation unless they keep everything for themselves. But that's not me to judge on or, but, <laughs> or to, to have an, we have, don't have an influence on that one. But there will be investments and savings. And if we play this in the right way and also combine financing solutions with the needed investments in infrastructure, especially in the brownfield space, um, that, can make, uh, that can make a difference. Um, and the other part is when you talk about households, there, perhaps it's um, our the the typical family living in a in a multi multi apartment building. They don't interact with our IoT technology. This is happening in the you know in the cloud and in the basement, but not necessarily in their living room. There, they they have other interfaces to deal with, which are very much individualized with many smart home solutions, which is not a Siemens play, but there are many. Uh, b2c companies doing this and we are connecting with those systems and interacting but not with the individual ourselves so is there a um you said you're, you're interacting with these p2c companies and the technical uh, technology companies is there a case for greater open access 
data and open access uh, software in order to sort of share that between each other to make the processes more streamlined? Yeah, you know, you know how business works. You always uh, share something if you want to make it uh, bigger, if you want to also increase um, um, uh, the the, uh, the business opportunity for yourself, but also bringing better solutions for the customer. So if it's beneficial in the one or the other case, yes, I would not answer this question in general with a yes, uh, because, uh, you know, sharing everything and not uh, creating a benefit for uh, each of the partners is not a sustainable platform game from my perspective. Before we go, uh, I know we're slowly running out of time here. Um, I'd be really interested to learn a little bit more about your journey, uh, Matthias. Uh, um, what is your background and how did you kind of get into digitalization and digital energy? I think as we all did, you know, it's uh, of course with, my, with me being more than 30 years in, the, in, in Siemens, um, <clears throat> I did not start in di digital technology. And <laughs> of course, you know, it's uh, even though I wasn't, I started as an engineer and working on the industry part, uh, side of Siemens for uh, half of my career almost, or 13 years. And then now I'm uh, almost 20 years in the area of building technology and infrastructure uh, management. And when I said, as we all did, uh, as I said, 2014, we had our first platform. So when we started with, uh, before we had also building management software, um, but the the way we got into IoT and now cloud, this is this is a total different environment and enables, you know, to manage the complexity, but also we have to deal with the complexity. So uh, me personally, I did, um, you know, grow into that. And it's, it's only one part of our business as we come, we have real and digital, as I said before, managing this now for uh, quite some time as a CEO for smart infrastructure since, uh, since two years and before being in the building industry. What first, what first got you sort of interested and excited in working just within the energy, energy industry to begin with? Yeah, you know, as I, uh, things are getting to get, uh, closer together. When you say, um, as, as, uh, as we in Siemens, we have industry, we have infrastructure, we have um, within infrastructure, we have building and electrification in, in general, and we have transportation. If I look, all of those are in the center of optimizing you know, efficiency and sustainability for customers and for, for even for society. So, and this is what I think is very, very you know, important for society, important for myself and drives me also within Siemens to, um, to contribute uh, to, to this development. Do you have any advice for anyone that may be looking into digitalization um, and how, do you have any advice for how they can enter the energy industry and why they should enter the energy space if they're working in digitalization? Yeah, <clears throat> that's, that's a very good question because it's, a, it's about the purpose. We call it technology with purpose. You know, we do something for the better of the society and the planet. And this is not just a saying. You can see all the proof points on the, and, the, and also the projects that we did and that we do as Siemens for, uh, for exactly that purpose, for a sustainable energy transition as well as for sustainable communities. And this resonates. When I talk to students and at, coming from university who wants to have a career in digital or in, in tech, of course, they think first on the top five or top six uh, uh, IT companies. <clears throat> but once they, they listen to us and we get in a closer discussion on how, you know, 
valuable it is and also how rewarding it is to work combining the real and the digital world, creating an impact for our customers and societies every day. This Once they have seen that, then they are in and we have very good, um, uh, we have possibilities of getting them into our business. And uh, that is that is what, what uh, how we see it and how we are playing it also with them. Are you working with maybe universities or, or, or even colleges, high school, secondary school, to sort of help encourage people into this space and maybe even particularly um I'm thinking of uh, women as well, just trying to get, obviously it must still be quite a male dominated sector specifically within digitalization. Are you trying to help get um, a, a more uh, younger, a younger generation yeah. through, but also a, a more diverse generation through? Yeah. Now you entered, uh, now you mentioned three dimensions of diversity <laughs> and I, I would say yes to all. Uh, and the, um, the, the uh, patterns of activities are most likely a little different, but definitely working together with uh, universities. First of all, un universities are also, of course, our core customers, the large campus type uh, universities mm -hmm. is where we deployed in, in many of those around the world. And I would say we are even leading in this space. Uh, and that brings us closer to the campus than also students can already experience with our software and our solutions. And we, we get into discussion even earlier. We are intensifying this, of course, promoting the purpose of what we are doing there with our technologies. And um, in the last couple of years, also, of course, focusing on um, uh, bringing more female talent into uh, universities or out of universities to Siemens, uh, which is uh, a very high focus. And, uh, and then also diversity in the sense of internationality and uh, different backgrounds. Um, that is, uh, that's really important. And that's why we're doing many of our uh, initiatives with universities. Yeah. Finally, then, just before we go, do you think the energy transition will succeed? Yes. And why? There's, there's no other choice, you know, and uh, it's it just uh, sometimes it can be dis disencouraging when you see get you, you, you read the news or the, uh, watch the news and TV or what whatever is going on in the world. Um, there might be some mm, delays or backdraws here and there. Uh, but that's why I also said at the beginning, you know, uh, the, it is decisive that we continue with the needed investment into renewable and demand optimization and, and, uh, and the upgrade of the energy system and not wait until all the other crises are behind us because that might be too late. Absolutely. Matthias Rebilius, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, I hope we can speak again very soon. Yeah, thanks, Dave. That's all from Matthias and myself. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode of Energy Enablers from Foresight Climate and Energy. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I felt his answer about the success of the energy transition and there being no other choice is something many of us working on the front line of decarbonisation will agree with. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you are listening so more people can find us. If you're new to our offerings, make sure you check out our other podcasts. You'll find me with Jan Rosener and Michaela Hull on What Matters, grilling expert guests on the most pressing issues of the transition, while our policy editor Sam Morgan hosts Policy Dispatch, speaking to lawmakers and other clever policy people about all things energy. You can find those on our website or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
You can read more about in-depth journalism at foresightdk.com, where you can also find out about our subscription packages. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.